Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So I think there's some element to like, if you keep trying a bunch of random different things with no plan, like you're just going to be a dabbler your whole life. There's something beautiful about dabbling and we'll get to that part of it in a minute. But the one thing that's at play, like if you want to build an income that will fuel, to your point and your your vision, a location-independent life, freedom, time to be with your family, and even maybe money to do some of the things that you couldn't do if your income was limited. You have to build something sustainable. That was a clip from my interview today with Graham Cochran. You might recognize that name. He's been in media quite a bit lately. He just published a book called How to Get Paid for What You Know, Turning Your Knowledge, Passion, and Experience into an Online Income Stream in Your Spare Time. And that's a big topic on today's show. And what I like about Graham's work is that... It's based on his experience building his business, The Recording Revolution, which helps people make uh, high-quality music at home. And he's just taking his lessons and his philosophies from his own experience, sharing his perspectives in this interview and in this book, some of the things we dig into. Of course, a lot of topics around location-independent business and travel, how to avoid being a dabbler, as you heard in the uh, in the intro clip there, and build a sustainable business. Number one way to validate a business idea, I think this is important for anybody, whether you're creating your first business or perhaps your next idea. I am always looking to improve my business knowledge because... This is a great way to make your travels sustainable. So if you're listening, even if you're somebody who has no interest in having your own business, I do think uh, these types of interviews are worth listening to because uh, you can file those away into your resources bank. You never know when you're going to get an idea that you want to act on. We talk about some of the important myths and truths surrounding passive income. There's a lot of hype out there with that term passive income. So we get into that. Graham's model to successfully generating passive income. The biggest mistake new entrepreneurs make when scaling a business, which uh, books Graham recommends. I always like book recommendations to help you focus on uh, your mindset, which is key when it comes to uh, everything pretty much in life. And much more. We're digging into all of that. Plus, I'm going to share the number one thing to remember if you are trying to build and grow a location-independent business. This is essential, something you always have to keep top of mind. And I'm going to share a little hack for coming up with some ideas on what to do this weekend 
or, you know, in the next week, maybe a little challenge there uh, related to something that I did yesterday. And I kind of reverse engineered this and thought, hey, you know what? If I ask myself this question, this might, uh, this might initiate some other ideas that can get me out into the world in some unique ways that I love. So I'll share that in this episode and much more. It's all happening right now. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I hope today's episode finds you well, my friend. Thank you for allowing me to be here with you today. Uh, I've got a great show for you. I'm excited to bring you the interview segment, as you heard at the top. Plenty to dive into. And, uh, you know, I love when people are willing to share everything the ups and downs, the highs and lows. And, uh, of course, this ties in with uh, what I teased out at the top this idea of what is the uh, number one thing that you should keep in mind or remember if you're trying to build and grow a location-independent business, really any type of business. Uh, This is something that takes the pressure off of yourself and something that's really important. It sounds so simple and it's so obvious, but it's something that uh, you need to remind yourself sometimes as we get caught up in our own minds and our own ideas and, and things that we want for ourselves and things like that. And that is, it's not about you, right? It's about the people you are serving. (laughs) You hear that on the podcast all the time because I I like to remind you this is a community-powered show. Yeah, I got a mic on. I'm sitting here. I'm I'm recording the podcast and putting it out there and doing all the things. But there's no podcast without you, my friend. And the more feedback I can get from you, the better I can make the show. And that's why I always ask to make this a two-way conversation. Get in touch. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. You can always leave me a voicemail. I'm looking for guest recommendations. Anything that I can do to help and serve you. And really, that is the thing that has kept this podcast going. The community aspect and the fact that uh, this show is here to serve people listening to help you travel the world on your terms, no matter what your situation or experience. So those weeks or days when I'm just tired and uh, maybe I don't feel like recording a podcast or whatever the case is, well, guess what? I just think about everybody out there listening. It's the thing that keeps me going because that's what this show is about. It's, it's serving people and helping, helping you travel. And that's why when I get the emails and give the shout outs, All of those stories that you all share mean so much to me because that is what it's all about. So if you are struggling with implementing an idea or maybe you get caught up in your own brain sometimes, whether it's at work or for your own business or whatever, you can always just remember the people you are serving and that is who it's all about. And our guest today, Graham, even says that right on his website, GrahamCochran.com. Uh, he says, I believe that entrepreneurship is about serving people. When you have an 
quote, others focused mindset. It takes the burden off of you to make everything perfect. Just do your best to help people. And in return, your business doesn't have to take over your life. Instead, it can serve you as much as you're serving others. I love that. He said that much more clearly than I did, but we are on the same page with that philosophy. And just wanted to share that as we dive into this interview. Stick around afterwards. I'm going to give a shout out to somebody in this community. Plus, I'm going to share this little hack I came up with right before recording. Uh, That's a good question to ask yourself if you're looking for something unique to do in the coming week. uh, Maybe there's a hint there that might be part of the challenge. Uh, to act on this. I'll I'll tease that out. But uh, I thought about this and kind of reversed it and thought, hey, this is a good way to rediscover some incredible experiences for yourself. So stick around. I'll share that. Plus a quote that ties so nicely in with the subject matter of this show from one of my favorite gurus out there. So coming at you on the back end. Now enjoy the interview segment. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Yeah, final quest question. Um, do you do video or is this just for the audio podcast? No, just for the audio. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I do, I do both um, when I interview people just to have some YouTube content. But um, we can just do audio if you prefer when we do mine either way. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I did just get my hair cut, Graham. So. <laughs> so let's let the world see that beautiful haircut. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about Graham's podcast, which we're going to record after this. And I should officially welcome you to the show. So Graham Cochran from GrahamCochran.com. Welcome to this year to travel podcast, my friend. Oh, thanks, Jason. I've been excited for this one. Have I hope so. I mean, well, I appreciate you kind of dancing around the time zone thing here, which is always a challenge with the whole Europe US thing. But you're you're in Florida, right? Yes, sir. Tampa, Florida. Okay. So I'm on my way next week to Florida, in fact, at the time of recording. Fort Myers area. Oh yes. That's just south of me. Yeah. You got any recommendations for me? Dude, I've only been there once and it was to to stay at a guy's house. I don't know anything about Fort Myers. His house was <laughs> nice though. So <laughs> that's it. You grew up in Florida. No, I didn't. I, dude, I lived all over. I was an uh, army brat. So I was born in Arizona. We lived in California, England, Germany, Virginia. So I've been, I've been in Florida, though, for 13 years now. So it feels like home. I used to work in events. And a big part of that for certain brands was doing events at the commissary at the oh, army, yeah. on the army bases. Okay. So I've spent a lot of time on army bases and okay. have met a lot of army brats. I'm using the air quotes. I'm, that's your term. I'm not calling you a brat. You know, you guys yeah, are I, fair enough. army brats, but which is a different way of growing up. I mean, as you know, everybody has their own individual experience growing up. But like you said, moving around, kind of going from town to town every couple of years, was it? Or how, how did that work for you? Yeah, my parents were kind of getting out. My, they met in the army, my, my mom and dad. And then they actually got out of the army when I was very young. But we actually still moved around because my dad took an insurance job. And they, they were just so adventurous. They loved travel. This actually ties in beautifully. They loved travel. And uh, my mom had, had grown up, spent some time in Europe as a kid. Um, and so when they got into insurance, there were job opportunities in Europe. And my parents were like, let's do it. They were very adventurous back then. So we actually job. Um, our job hopped and like life hopped for a few years, not even because of the army, 
but it was a great experience for me getting to, I mean, at one point, bro, I had a British accent. We lived in England for a couple of years. My brother's born there. I have video footage. I had a British accent and I, I would have been so much cooler if I kept that accent, but it disappeared. So <laughs> I went to kindergarten in Germany, kindergarten, where they invented kindergarten um, and uh, got bullied by a, a German kid named Tobias. He didn't like me, um, but I learned German a little bit back then. I mean, it was a fun experience. I think it really gave me a, 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 variety of like what other cultures are like. And that was the beginning of my, my interest in travel and, and the world. And uh, I credit my parents to that. Was it fun at the time or is it just fun and valuable yeah. in hindsight now? Oh, I liked it. I loved it. You did? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not every kid that would love. Like, I think I would have been, if my parents said they were moving in the middle of junior high or something, I would have been like, what my friends, you know? Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I was younger though, so it was probably easier. You know, I didn't yeah. really care. Um, if it were to high school or yeah, middle school, that would probably be a little bit harder. We had settled down by then. And what made you choose Florida as a place to live? Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, my wife and I moved down here with a buddy of mine because um, he was starting a church down here. We were a part of his church up in Virginia, and he was. I used to lead the, the music in the band, and so he was like, "Hey, man, I want to start a church in Tampa and Florida." do you, do you want to move to Tampa and like help out and do the music? And, and we just want, we wanted an adventure. We kind of done college and settled into a small town and we wanted something fresh. So I was like, dude, let's do it. Let's move. So it was kind of just to help my buddy start a church down here. And uh, I didn't know how long we would stay. I didn't, I didn't think real people lived in Florida. I thought it was just theme parks and old people. I didn't know. Can families live in Florida? I don't Is know. Is that a t-shirt? Florida. Can. Theme parks and old people. That's what I thought. You know, it's a place for vacationing and for retiring, but turns out, no, it's a, it's a great place to raise a family. And, um, we just, we feel really fortunate to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you get into the music thing? Because a big part of what you did, and we'll get into the whole recording revolution story, which is your, or let's just say was your main online business, as far as I know, through my research. And I want to talk about that, but yeah, like when did music become a thing for you? Dude, yeah, early on, my dad was a musician. He was a classically trained singer. He played trumpet. So I was just always, you know, surrounded by music. So I started singing as a young age, at a young age, um, in like little choir, like little Christmas performances. But it was very clear early on that, like, hey, I've got some talent here. I was getting asked to sing all the solos. Um, I started playing trumpet like my dad and band. And so I just little did a little bit of both. But I just fell in love with music. And so I, I got into songwriting. I taught myself guitar, um, started a couple of bands in middle school, if you can call them that. But, you know, like we're going to rehearse and we're going to write songs and play songs and, and um, did all the battle of the bands, like all that stuff, man. I just I loved it. And, got, and I took it really seriously in high school and just kind of followed that track uh, all the way through college. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So what kind of music did you play with your band? <laughs> Dude, we so I'm you know I'm a product of the the early '90s uh, in terms of when I thought of music was then. So it was, for me, it was grunge. It was you know Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots. It was uh, Nirvana, um, Alice in Chains. Don't forget the Pearl Jam, man. And I love Pearl. I've seen them twice in concert. They're phenomenal. I love Pearl Jam. Um, so it was all of that stuff, man. It, and I I would just grab tab books from the guitar store and I would sit there with my little acoustic guitars all I had at the time and, and I would try to figure out how to play power chords and imagine myself in front of a lot of people and and making music videos and to me it was just the coolest thing I could go into my own little world when I was playing guitar and singing did you have the full-on sort of rock star dream where you're like hey yes. I, yeah 
Yeah. I mean, dude, I tried. Yeah. I got into, um, I got into audio engineering, uh, to just to make our own records in high school that led me to go to audio school for in college. Cause my parents kind of had a deal like, Hey, we saved money for college. I know you just want to be a rock star, but you're going to go to college, but you could do whatever you want after that. So it's like, fine, I'll study audio engineering in college and just play with gear. And, um, and, but I literally tried, um, to get signed. And so I, I made a record with some producers in Nashville, um, my senior year once my band they broke up and it was just like fine y'all aren't serious i'm going to be the only serious one so i made a solo record and we shopped it around to labels and i had a, i had some help and and some people who were believing in me were trying to help me out but uh it it kind of fell flat like i had a couple of loose offers that weren't really offers um and uh i had to go get a real job which is kind of what led me eventually into entrepreneurship because i the only thing i knew how to do was music and i that was there was no plan b and so I, I kind of had to come up with a plan B, but it's been uh, it's been a lot more fun actually than music, which has been surprising. So for you, there was kind of no plan B at the outset, but for your parents, it was a different story. They were like, well, "You're going to go to college," and then <laughs> what do you? I mean, what do you think about that? As you're a father of two, so you know you've kind of lived in both of those worlds: entrepreneurship, going for a, a music dream that. You could say it panned out. It just panned out differently than what you imagined. Yeah, but how do you feel about that as a parent guiding your your children towards something that people might consider practical, sort of a practical base or skill set where I, I would say at the time, you know, I, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, growing up for me, it was like, okay, well, if you go to college, that's sort of like the fallback. Maybe a college degree doesn't mean as much now, but maybe the new version of having a college degree is learning online marketing i don't know online business but yeah what are your thoughts around that yeah that's a great question i mean we probably grew up in a similar era i was taught you go to college that's what you have to do um because that leads to all opportunities and so it's it was like you know safety security financial like it, it was very vague how that was going to work out but that was sort of like your golden ticket i don't look at college that way um i don't regret going to college I actually, I had a really good time. I learned a lot. Um, I met really good people. I met my wife. Um, and it was, it was a good experience for me. I'm saving for my kids college. I have 529 plans for them to have college funds that, so that if they want to go, they can go debt free. Cause I don't, I don't believe in student loans. Um, I don't see the point. Just, so um, unless you're a doctor and you, it, it can make some economic sense for certain degrees, so I'm, I'm telling my kids, look, because one of my daughters is singer, dancer, actress. She's a triple threat. My other is she might want to open up a bakery one day. Um, so I'm like, look, I, we want you to pursue work you enjoy and do it with excellence. Um, we want you to understand how to add value to people in whatever you do, because that's all you're doing, whether you're a job or a business or you're an artist, you're adding value. Um, and we want you to be lifelong learners. So we really emphasize reading. Um, we were like, we'll buy it. We have an unlimited book budget for our kids. So like we don't buy them a ton of stuff, but if you want a book, we'll get it. If you want a million books, we'll get them. Whatever you're interested in reading, we don't care as long as you continue to read and learn the skill of reading because reading leads to learning and learning leads to everything. So if they want to go to college, we're going to support them in that. If they want to go to a specific trade school, like my one daughter might want to go to culinary school. Great. If my other daughter wants to go to acting school, sure. Or if they don't want to go to college and they want to start a business, because both my wife and I have businesses, so they see mommy and daddy are entrepreneurs, 
we're not making them do that, but we're showing them the benefits of that. So I'm kind of painting the picture of like, there's a lot of opportunities for you. We'll support you in any of them, but you really have to learn to be a learner, a lifelong learner and pursue work you really enjoy because otherwise you're going to become bitter and you're going to only look for like, well, what makes me the most money? Cause I hate what I do anyway. And that's just a, oh, it's just a death spiral of life. So yeah, that's how I view it, I suppose. Yeah, that's cool. The lifelong learning thing is is so key. I think just uh, encouraging the curiosity and the fun that you can have exploring that is is vital and something that I don't know because it's been a while since I've been in school, but it seems like it's it's one thing that maybe schools can kind of like beat out of kids in a way, right? It's like forcing you to learn something that you're not really that interested in and some of those things are necessary and others maybe maybe not so much. I like what you said when you were talking about going to university, something along the lines of, you know, it was vague how it was going to work out. Is, isn't that kind of funny how some of those things just, they don't get questioned enough, right? It's, it's like, it is kind of vague how it's going to work out. It's like, well, you got you to gotta go to college and then you'll be set. Well, but what do you mean? There's like a lot of things that can happen just because you go to college doesn't mean you're going. I mean, that's just one example, but there are other examples of that happening all the time in life, right? What's up with that? <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it's there's there's it's a failure of our education system. It's a a failure of leadership. Really, are we really leading the next generation and teaching them what is what is life all about and how how do you be successful in the best sense of the word as a human being in this world? And there's so much more than just um, did you test well or do you have certain facts or understanding of things. And I think we've, we're just failing our, our kids at training them up. You know, So parents a lot of times do a poor job. The school system does a poor job. I don't trust the government to teach my kids anything of value. So um, man, we, we really need to step up and train this next generation to think how to think about what is life all about and how do we show up as a selfless human being? Because ultimately, if you want to be successful in life, you have to be selfless. You have to put other people in front of yourself in terms of like, hey, how can I show up in this job or in this business or uh, in this uh, school situation and like make other people's lives better and serve them? If you do that, you become well-liked, you become very attractive to people, you be, you get brought into things, you get promoted, you get opportunities because you're seen as someone who's not a pariah just taking. You're, you're someone who's generous, who's coming into the space, like making everyone's lives better, making whatever you touch better. That leads to opportunities, but that's like the opposite of what we're taught. We're taught to like, just go get yours. Like make sure you get as much money as you can or just climb up or be the top of your class or and for what? We're not even told for what. So I mean, we're getting super philosophical, but I think that's part of people are disenchanted, you know, because they they did what they were supposed to do. Maybe they got a good job. Maybe they got good grades and they're unhappy and they feel like they also feel entitled to more because they don't feel like it gave them what they wanted. So they're bitter, entitled, angry, disenchanted. Maybe that's why people like your your podcast, because travel is so much more than just seeing this beautiful world. It's escape. Of, of, of a way of life that maybe we thought we were going to live. And it's like, wow, there's more possibility. Um, what else is out there? And I think people want, like, it's a cool metaphor for not just seeing other places, but another way of life. Yeah, for sure. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday. 
in Norway. Not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite street streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the US Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know We love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit, and there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there. And that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself. And that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Was travel a part of the rock star dream for you? Because it's built into music. Travel's built into to a music career, whether you want it or not. And I think some people, they it goes hand in hand, right? It's like, I want to play music in front of people and I want to be adored and be a, a, a rock star or whatever. But I also want to see the world, and this is going to be my ticket. And for other people, I think it's just part of the job, or you know, over time it can become a part of the job. You know, kind of like oh, I got to go on on tour again. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, it's funny. I didn't think about it as like my ticket for travel, but I assumed I assumed like yeah, well, it'll take me places. And to me, that was exciting because I already loved travel and I loved exploring places, and I thought this would be a great. Um, convergence of things that I enjoyed and loved. The recording revolution is your first business. You're st- right. It's still your, mm-hmm. still your main business. Would you say, even though you're not working in it, you know, things now? have shifted in the last year. I would say it's not my, my personal brand has overtaken the recording revolution in revenue. Um, and it's also what I'm working on primarily now. So I would say it's my secondary business, but it was the first one and the one for the longest time. Okay. Oh, well, there's a couple things I want to talk about with this. And then I want to get into your, your book because you have a, a framework around the book and we just pick your brain and get some advice from uh, you since you've built seven figure online businesses uh, that you can run location independent. <laughs> I think it's a good idea to pick your brain on some of that stuff. <laughs> 
I, I do want to talk about some of the myths and truths of, um, I'm going to use air quotes again, even though you can't see me, passive income. And what what are your thoughts around passive income? Is it a real thing? It, it's, of course, a real thing, but I, I feel like it is a bit of a buzzword too, because we all know that it's never truly passive. I mean, you're working right now recording this podcast in many ways. There's there's always going to be time put in. So yeah, what does it mean? What does passive income mean to you? Because I think that is the ultimate goal for a lot of people, right? You want to travel and see the world. You don't want to sit behind your computer all the time. So as much as you can automate and make passive income, but I just want to hear your thoughts around the myths and truths of passive income. Yeah, I mean, we live in a dichotomy world, a black or white world where people attack ideas and we don't really look at the gray in between or the nuances of things. So I think passive income gets attacked a lot, made fun of a lot, um, saying it's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost lumped into a category. If you talk about passive income, you're saying lazy income or that you're a lazy person and you just want to sit around and have money flow to you for nothing. Uh, and I don't think that's what really is happening. And it, it's not a myth. It's very real there's two types of passive income in my mind. There's like truly passive income where maybe you did something once or set something up and you literally get paid for doing nothing. Examples of this are like, you know, dividends from stocks where like you just own the stock and they just pay you dividends. You don't do anything. Um, if you have fully managed real estate, um, where literally you have people that take care of the stuff like that, because real estate is always active. There's always work that needs to be done to maintain. But if you outsource all of that, you can collect passive rent checks, um, and then even in my business, uh, I have affiliate income is a, is a big portion of, I never had a ton of affiliate income in the recording revolution, but in my personal brand, uh, one tool that I use is called Kajabi to run all my online courses. I actually run my entire online business. It's the only product I affiliate promote cause I love it and I've used it for almost 10 years. Um, and I get literally paid a lot of money to do absolutely nothing now that like people are signed up with Kajabi cause it's a recurring commission. And so that's truly passive. But the majority of what I teach and what I do, I would say is semi-passive in the sense that there's, to your point, some ongoing work. But I, I prefer the word scalable. It's like scalable income. So you are trading active, like doing work at your job, getting paid, butts and seats kind of thing. Or if you're an independent contractor or a service provider, like, okay, I've got clients. I design that logo for that client. I get paid. If I don't design that logo, I don't get paid. We're moving away from that to, can I build a structure around what I do is with content on YouTube or a podcast uh, and a system to collect leads and email automation and then digital products like online courses or memberships. If you put all that together, you can get to a place where like for me to, to run my business, if I look at actual man hours, it takes me five to six man hours a week to run a business that last year did 1.2 million in revenue uh, and is going to surpass that this year. That that to me is passive income because I just show up in the office and I just I, I put in the hours of the things that are still necessary and then the income is scales and continues to scale. So my work doesn't go up. And actually, over the years, it diminishes the number of hours, but the income goes up. So to me, that's what passive income really is, is, is the infrastructure that allows you to work minimally or just unplug completely if you need to. Like it, you could unplug for a month or two or three and it would still hum along just fine. You probably need to pick back up to it to keep it sustainable for years and years and years. But it's a very minimal input for maximum output. Mm. And were you referring to the recording revolution business when... With that figure or the 
personal brand stuff? Uh, the personal brand last year did 1.2, but the recording revolution was similar. Since I stepped out of it a year and a half ago, um, we have other content creators in there. My business partner is kind of running it now f- for me. It's dipped down in revenue since sort of the face of the brand disappeared. And some people were like, eh, if Graham's not here, I'm not interested. But we're kind of rebuilding that. But even it, when that, that was doing about 1.2, 1.3 a year, million a year, and I had it to about five or six hours of my work uh, a week for that business as well. And I was running the two businesses side by side for three years. So it's I've basically replicated it. It looks a little different. The product line is a little different. The way it's shaped out is a little different, but it's almost to the T identical in terms of revenue and work input needed. Um, and it's it's just a it's a beautiful model and it's it's allowed me to have complete freedom. I don't travel the world like like you do and a lot of people do as a digital nomad. Uh, I have pretty normal life here in Florida, kids in school and uh, and rhythms, but we're able to pull out whenever we want and I cre- pursue creative endeavors if I want to, like writing a book where it's not going to be a money maker, but I want to spend time writing it and do it right. And, and it's important to me and there's no pressure for it to perform or pressure for me to be in the office while I'm writing it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, w- I do want to get into some of the specifics of the model that you mentioned, but uh, I wanted to ask you about, cause I feel like it's interesting that we're, it's like we're crossing the street simultaneously and like waving to each other in the middle and you're going to the personal brand side and I'm like, the next thing I start, I don't want it to have anything to do with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I'm going to always keep going with zero to travel. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. who knows how always nothing's stopping here. Anybody listening? Nothing's <laughs> stopping. I'm talking about another thing. Cause I just pulled mm-hmm. out of uh, some of the, like the community and the coaching and the other stuff I was doing just because I, I got kind of tired of it. And also there's that sort of you're, you're tied if it's too much tied to you. And I'm just wondering why, you're going towards the personal branding stuff when you've been able to successfully build something that's not really as much of a personal brand, although, like you said, you're the face of it. So maybe it's taken a little bit of a dip, but you guys are working to rebuild that. So so it's not. I'm just wondering why that move. You could start a lot of businesses. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, um, and it's something I still wrestle with. I mean, honestly, even this year, I'm I'm every year I'm evaluating what I'm doing. And this year I'm even evaluating some of my commitments um, as minimal as they are to see like some things I have to show up every week for. Um, And I'm like, Hmm, do I want to do that? Do I want to make it more like I could store up a bunch of content and videos and then disappear for six months kind of thing. So I'm always evaluating that the move to the personal brand was primarily because I, I, I do want to be, I mean, I'm a performer at heart. I do want to be the face. I want to be on camera. I want to, I want to be the teacher educator. Like, dude, I, I, what I want this to become is me writing more books. If I'm allowed to <laughs> write more books, um, that change lives, um, that are thought provoking and then speak as a public speaker, travel the world and get back to, <laughs> you know, traveling more, um, being on stage, which is what I miss from my live music days. Like I just, I think I belong on stage as an introvert as I am. The more people in stage in the theater, the better. The more people in front of me, the better. I go to a happy place there and the energy is electric. And as much as I create content every week, it's just not the same as being on stage. And so I miss that. And then I just, I've learned to, I love, 
idea sharing. I love helping people have light bulbs go off. And so I want to always be active in that. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to build a brand around me um, where I'm the something that's not copyable because it's, it's me. You know, it's like I'm the brand. It will always require me, but that's I've learned enough about how can I make this business completely serve my life and not the other way around. And I have a lot of autonomy there. And so it means saying no to certain products that might be profitable, but I just would be too much of a commitment for me um, or vice versa. So yeah, it was just a personal choice. It's where I feel called to be and what I want to do. But to your point, I, I, I love the idea of taking your face off of everything so that you could disappear. And uh, to be honest, like this summer, after the book coming out, uh, I've been kind of like, man, it snuck up on me how tired I am because I don't put in a lot of hours, but just the mental energy for the last two years of you know, getting a, a book deal and the proposal and an agent and writing the book and then pr- promoting it and then all the other stuff of my normal work. Uh, I need a break. So this summer I'm going down to minimal hours. I mean, I already have minimal hours, but I, I usually work a couple days a week. I pop in, but I'm going to just do one day a week for the summer. Uh, and then really for July, I'm going to take the whole month off. We're going to be in Puerto Rico um, and I'm just going to disappear for a month and not look at an email or touch anything because I just need to, I need a hard unplug for a while. Um, one week's two weeks isn't going to be enough. So anyway, yeah, I feel it. That's real. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was a bit tied to that feeling of burnout as well. Right. Like I just, it's a tough call sometimes as an entrepreneur to, to it's, it's much easier to kind of continue with things, especially if, if you're enjoy who you're serving and it's, it's making you money and it's part of your living and things like that. But for me, it was just time to let some things go. And that's not always an easy an easy thing to do, right? Oh, good for you. That is hard. You know, in your case, building the personal brand that, that you're building and talking about the stuff, I know you love talking about business, so that's a huge part of it, right? And, and serving the people that you serve. But there is that also demand on you as the individual running it. Whereas if you look at your other business, it like you have other people that are guesting and videos on YouTube and things like that. And it's just, I feel like it's a bit less pressure (laughs) in some ways, but maybe not if you have it so automated that it doesn't matter. You know, I was going to ask you about the content treadmill because that's one thing that can be a struggle with these types of businesses. If we're talking about courses, we can get to some of the business stuff here. You know, I noticed that you got some really high quality videos, obviously, on the recording revolution side that are are people that are teaching things that are not you. And that's a good example of, okay, well, you must have some, I don't know if you're paying people for videos or whatever. But if you if you're talking about an online business, I think it's very difficult to imagine creating anything successful without some type of content going out on a regular basis, whether that's YouTube, podcasts, social media, if that's your thing, whatever. I mean, there are some really successful sub stacks, let's say, where people's like a paid newsletter and, you know, even then you're still creating content. But talk about content creation a bit and your thoughts around around that. Because that to me, and now I'm also getting personal advice just you know, as a host, because I'm like, hey, I can ask you some questions too, because you built these success, uber successful businesses. You know, the next thing I start, it's like, well, maybe I don't want to be the one creating the content all the time. I love doing it at Zero the Travel because I get to have conversations like this, meet people like you. So to me, this is this isn't doesn't feel like work. This is what I love to do, which is why the podcast has been going for eight years. But for my next 
whatever thing I start, it's not necessarily I, I want to, like you said, you want to write books, focus on books. I want to do this exact thing without the pressure of, you know, so how do you sort of get off the content hamster wheel with a business? Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you went there because content is the most important part of it. And in the book, it's like a six-step process I teach for how to build this kind of business. Uh, and content is the most important piece of that because it's what builds the audience and what f- fuels the business. And everything else you build once, you can build the course and it can be done. You can write the sales copy, it could be done. Um, you can write all the automated emails, done. But what's never done is the content. Uh, and so to me, that's a good thing because that's how I'm only working a few hours a week because all I'm really doing is content. Um, I've, I've finished everything else or outsourced and everything else. Some people see that as a treadmill or a trap. And I think you, you summed it up though. Like you like this podcast because it doesn't feel like work to you. You're talking about something that's interesting to you. And that is the secret if you want to build a business like this is to, if you're going to have to do the content, which unless you've got a vision for other people, most people are going to do the content themselves. Don't just find a business that's marketable find one that's built around what you really love that you could talk about for five to 10 years and then also is marketable as well. And that's part of what I teach in the book too, is how to find the intersection. Uh, Because you have to want to talk about it for five to 10 years so that it feels like every week you get to talk about it. You don't have to talk about it. So for the recording revolution, my first business, it was a natural... I mean, I was figuring out online business. I actually started it to get clients for my music production business. I, I thought it would be like a lead generation machine. I wasn't trying to become a content creator. I didn't even know what an online course was in 2009. But it became the perfect business for me because I loved talking about audio and the gear and recording and making records. And then I'd make a record for a band. And then I would like show some of the stuff we were doing in my videos. Like, hey, this is, we got this really cool sound on this record. Here's how we did it. I couldn't believe that that was my work. <laughs> it was just, so that, that's where you want to be where you're like, man, there's people on the internet that want to learn how to record music. In my case, I can teach them and all I got to do is show up and talk about it. And I have to organize it and I had to learn to become a teacher, but it was sort of natural. I, you figure it out. My first videos were crappy. Just go watch the oldest videos on the channel and see how bad they are. You learn how to become a content creator. But that's the secret because you do have to stick with it for a long time. And that will be the fuel for, for lead generation forever. Uh, but to your point, I, I got tired of talking about it after a decade. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't really want to keep talking about this. And I felt trapped because A, I'd never been successful in my life at anything. And here was this thing that became wildly successful. So I had a very like identity attached to it. Like, I can't stop doing this. This is, this is the, the probably the best thing I'll ever do, you know, is what I thought. Um, and also, who am I if I'm not talking about music? And what will people think of me? I had all these fears. But I, was, I felt well, every time I made a video, when I got to the end of that, was I felt very disingenuous in the last few months. It's like, I, this isn't fair to them because I don't really love it anymore. So that was, a, a, I needed to make a change. But I think it is possible, though, to your point, to make content where you're not the face, but you really have to understand what kind of content people want. And then you just have to, you're adding the other job of, like sourcing great content creators who both are a subject matter, they're knowledgeable in the subject matter, they're engaging, they have a personality that's engaging enough for people to want to listen to, and then they can communicate that knowledge in a way that's digestible for people, which is a skill you have to learn too. There's a lot of, I had a lot of musicians and 
producers and engineers who are way more talented than me, way more credible in terms of they have Grammys and they have acclaim, but they cannot communicate <laughs> the the things they're really good at in a way that people understand. And so I'm like, oh crap, well that's it's, that's not there for them. So you have to have that skill as well. And it's just a lot to think about, but I, I think I say build a business you don't want to quit, you know, build and, and to have the guts to literally not do what everyone's telling you to do if you don't like it, uh, including me. Like when I tell people how to set up the business, I also tell them like, look, if you don't like doing it this way, there's other ways to monetize this. So if, if this is not fun for you, please don't do it because you're not going to last long. There are many challenges as you go along in business, right? So if you if you take away the challenge of creating content all the time because you're like, well, I don't want to do it. Then you add the challenge of trying to find people that are talented enough or can record it at a high enough quality and, and all that type of stuff. So everything's trade-offs, I suppose. Okay, so what would be your advice for, you know, I think this is one thing that people can struggle with when it comes to selecting an idea and kind of going all in on something because the idea that, oh, you should want to create content for this for the next five to 10 years, I think is really good in principle and also really important, but also very difficult on the front end to commit to. And if you have a hard time committing to something, then years can go by where you don't do anything. I mean, that's happened in my life. I feel like that has happened to probably some people listening to this show right now. Maybe it's happened in your life where you're just like, you know, it's the decision fatigue or whatever. Too many options. So it's just, I don't want to pick one because I don't know what I'll like in five years. Will I still like this in five years? At the same time, I feel like intuitively we we kind of know the things we're, we're really deeply passionate about. So again, gray area. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, great point. I, when I say, I think there's two things at play here, right? You want to, if you want to be successful at anything in life, it usually takes consistency, right? You have to do something consistently to improve, to get noticed. Uh, things take time. You know, the whole saying like, you know, it took you 25 years to become an overnight success. Like that's a real thing that like, it just takes a long time for most people to reach a level where they're having the success or acclaim or even satisfaction in a skill to get really good at something takes a long time. So I think there's some element to like, if you keep trying a bunch of random different things with no plan, like you're just going to be a dabbler, you know, your whole life. And there's, there's something beautiful about dabbling. And we'll get to that part of it in a minute. But the one thing that's at play, like if you want to build an income that will fuel to your point, and your, your vision, uh, a location, independent life, freedom, time to be with your family, um, and, and even maybe money to do some of the things that you couldn't do if your income was limited. You have to build something sustainable. And every, build, every real business, they have CEOs who are thinking about how can we build this sustainably? How can we scale this thing? How can this be for years to come and not just be a year or two business that did well? Um, you know, it's like those Japanese business plans that are like, they build like a 400 year business plan for their business. Like the, no one's going to be alive in 400 years, but they're like, Let, let's build this business in such a way that it could last for hundreds of years. There's something to that, to be a real big boy, big girl CEO. Think about some longevity. And that's why when I say, could you talk about this for five to 10 years? Just think long and hard about all the passions that you, you intuitively know. And I agree with you. I think people intuitively know of all those ones, 
like what one could is like you could just keep coming back to because it's just so satisfying to you or it's, it's it means a lot to you um, and is important to you. That's that's a good indicator that you might be on the right track. That being said, you're never locked into anything. To your point, to my point, we both are talking about changes we were making in our businesses. You have to give yourself the freedom to to make new choices and, and, and to pivot. That's the whole point of freedom, right? So you have the freedom to exit a business or pivot or, or rearrange the way you're doing things or say, you know, that worked for a season. It doesn't work anymore now that I have kids or now that I'm married or now that my, my goals have changed and, and you should never be stubborn. And that gets harder when you get successful, right? Like to your point, when you're making money and you're serving people and they're expecting you to show up and you're like, wow, this is working. I don't want to do it anymore. That that becomes a harder decision. When it's not working, it's easier to pivot from it. But even then, you, you have the freedom to pivot. It's just knowing what does it take to build a sustainable business. It takes having a long view. But then, dude, I don't have a five to 10 year plan. I don't know what's going to happen in five to 10 years. I really take it I think about six months ahead is about as far as I really can. And I'm a futurist. Like if you do the strength finders test, I, I rate really high as a futurist. So my brain wants to think, where is this going for the next 40 years? Which is valuable, but it also boxes me in. So I, I've learned like, I'm not a good predictor of the future. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself the freedom to like pivot even month to month. Like this summer, I'm, I'm, I'm unplugging from a lot of things because I feel the need to, to recuperate. But Still, I want to structure my business in such a way that I'm going to sh- show up every week and, and and perform and deliver. And then if something changes in a year, then I'll pivot for sure. So you have that freedom, but that the, the long view in, informs how you show up in your business. And then the, the staying present allows you the freedom to pivot as needed. Mm, cool. So let's say someone listening and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to settle on this niche or this passion what's the number one way to validate their idea to make sure that they're going to put their time in something that could actually work? Yeah, that's a great question. So in, um, in chapter three of the book that I walked through, I call it the three-part profitability framework, but it, it kind of takes you through, you know, if part one is, is looking at all your passions and your interests, and there's a few helpful questions in there for people that are stuck on like, what, what am I really interested in? But a lot of people have an idea of like, yeah, I want to build a business around X, or I want to talk about X or do a podcast on this. That's good and all, as long as there's a market for it, which to your point, which is a great question. Like, I don't, I don't want you to build a, a platform and a, co- a course and then there's nobody that wants to buy it so there's a couple ways to validate a business idea like this one of my favorites interestingly enough is get on amazon and and type in your your topic or your niche or whatever and see if there are any books that are published on it and there, there should be hopefully uh, if there's books that have been published by major publishers on this subject then you know that they've already done the research, that there's a market will, worth putting money into to, to put these books out. And then if you see a bunch of books in this topic or niche, whether it's weight loss or relationships or even in music production, there's like books on the subject um, on Amazon. Then look at the, the top three best-selling books in terms of like most reviews. So like find the, the three books that have the most reviews. It's usually what I look at because then you know a lot of people have bought it. And... I just just take a few minutes to look at those three books, note their title, their subtitle. All of this has like been tested and thought about like very intentionally. Um, look at the, you know, in Amazon, you can preview the books. You can look at the table of contents, read the chapter titles and get a sense of what they're about. Um, and all that's going to give you an indication of what they believe people care about based off this, the chapters. 
And then I look at the reviews and I'll ignore the five star and the one star reviews because they're generally fanboys or haters. And I love fanboys and I don't know, not to invalidate. I'll invalidate the haters, but the fanboys, they're, they're just going to love it. And they're going to say, this was great. And that's not helpful for you in this research phase. But the two, three, and four star reviews are going to tell you a lot more about what they liked about the book, which is important for you, and what they felt was missing or didn't land well. And all of that gives you a clue as to like, man, are there people that are hungry for this? And what are they hungry for specifically? And it will give you so much clarity on like, yeah, there is a market for this or not. If you can't find any books on the subject or there, no one's reviewing them or reading them, there may, unless it's a very esoteric like sub-sub niche that you know has a market elsewhere, but they're just, they just don't publish books on it. Most niches will have a book or, or hundreds <laughs> on it. And man, it tells you a lot about, man, this is a proven market. And you want to run into proven markets. You don't really want to make up a market that's so strange that nobody's in it. Because the only thing is you're taking the risk that there's nobody in it. Um, and it just depends on how risk-taking you are. But that's a great resource to just get a sense of like, man, are people already paying for things in this space? Are they hungry to know this stuff? If they are, there's a good chance they'll be hungry to learn it from you. Yeah. Going back to building an audience and the content creation, because when you started out, the 29, 2010 YouTube was a lot easier to get attention than it is nowadays. So today, as we're recording this, what do you think are the best ways to start bringing in customers, leads, and building an audience, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I, I still think YouTube is the best um, as far as like bang for your buck in terms because of like... Because video so hard and it's such a pain to do. <laughs> it is a pain. Oh man. It, yeah. It's less of a pain than it, than it used to be. Um, cameras are cheap. Uh, microphones are cheap now. And, and then there's the other thing too, is like, don't, I'm not talking about, you don't, you don't want to become a YouTuber. And there's a difference because YouTubers are entertainers and they, and so they're going to spend a lot of time and money to have a lot of B-roll, um, music production in their videos, um, professionally edited, because they need to keep you watching and keep you entertained because they make money off of the ads. And so the more minutes they can, you know, the more ads you can view, they have a, they're playing a different game than what we're playing. We're just using YouTube as lead generation and as a discoverability engine because it's a giant search engine, right? It's not a social media platform as much as it's a search engine. So you want to be where people are searching. Even if like I, just, I video my podcasts. So I just, I turn on the camera and I just, I just go for 30, 40 minutes and I have a monologue podcast most of the time and I'll just hit record. I don't even edit mine and then I'm done. And then my editor just slaps on the beginning and the end. There's no B-roll. There's no second camera. I'm breaking all the rules of YouTube and some people, they don't like it. They're like, this is boring because they don't want to just stare at me for 30 minutes. But at the same time, it's not stopping me from showing up. And so the beautiful thing is make it as easy as you can on yourself and because two, it's worth it because to your point, there were fewer people on YouTube in 2009 and 10 when I got started, but the, the algorithm has been shifted to be more democratic uh, to newer, newer channels than it was back then. So I like my recording revolution channel has like 650,000 subscribers or something back in the day, 
that huge subscriber base carried a lot of weight. So if I did a video on a certain microphone, my video would show up at the top because I got a big subscriber base. That's not the case anymore. And I saw that happen over the years where all of a sudden these brand new channels were ranking higher than me on the same type of video. I was like, what the heck? And this is a shift that YouTube made a few years ago to, to encourage new channels to not to, to not give up and, and to create content. And so I tested it with my 12-year-old. She wanted to make a YouTube channel around um, a video game she likes to play called Roblox. And she builds these houses in this game called Bloxburg inside of Roblox. And she just wanted to like screen capture the houses she was building and designing. And so she filmed her first little screencast video. And she's like, I've never been on YouTube. How do I do this, dad? So I was like, here's what we do. You tell me, what is this video about? Well, it's about Bloxburg, which is in, you know, in Roblox, and I'm doing this type of build. I was like, all right, so that's going to be the title of your video. Like, do not be creative. Be clear. Roblox, Bloxburg, whatever, whatever, build. And then we use the same keywords in the description. Not, nothing creative. I'm not an SEO wizard at all. We upload the video. She has a brand new channel, by the way. I showed her how to make a simple thumbnail in Canva. She just made it herself in like 20 minutes, figuring out Canva for the first time. We upload it. We went away. We came back three hours later. And I was like, let's see if something's happening. And we got on an incognito browser. So it's it's not looking at anything. And we got on YouTube, typed in the, those keywords, like the game, Roblox, Bloxburg, and this type of build. She was on the first page of YouTube results. Zero subscribers, zero views, but YouTube shoved her up there because it's allowing new channels, it's giving new channels a little bit of a boost and giving them a chance. So you actually have more of a chance than you did when I got started with a new channel, as long as you are consistently publishing content, I say at least once a week, um, that's your minimum. And if that's all you can do, that's great. I'd rather you publish every week, once a week, than three times a week for a month and then burn out because the algorithm prefers consistency. Um, and then as long as you're making content, that's what people are searching for in YouTube. And like, don't get creative. Just type, make videos on what people are probably typing in and title them what they're typing in. You will eventually get found, and not all your videos. 80-20 rule applies here like it does to a lot of other things. There's going to be a small slice that's going to pop. And that's all you need to then get more views and more subscribers and it feeds itself. Yeah, cool. That's uh, pretty empowering to think that in three hours you can be on the the first page of YouTube. And I like what you said about not making it difficult for yourself, right? And being consistent. Those, those are tough things. Sometimes I think we see some of the videos out there and think, oh, well, you know, we don't have the skill set to do this, that, or the other, but move forward and you improve over time. We'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, 
you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, the shifting algorithms thing is another great point that the algorithms are always changing. So just because you see... This is another barrier to entry, I feel, when people are considering starting something, they see the competition out there and and they're just immediately put off and think, well, you know, what do I have to add to this or who am I? Or there's really no space for me because this has all already been said and done, which is another, I guess, could be valid, but also perhaps fear-based thinking. Uh, I know in one of your podcasts, you mentioned uh, really briefly, something about changing, you had to change some of your mental scripts. I'm just wondering if you could talk about mental scripts and some of the things that you've gone through personally and how they might apply to somebody listening who may be bat- battling some of the common fears around starting and launching a location independent business. Yeah, that's a real thing. And um, it, it's just that it's just a fear. It's a common fear. So, uh, to encourage you listening, everyone has it. I'll give you an example. I had it when I started because I didn't think anyone would pay attention to me. Um, but then I, I still had it when I started this personal brand teaching business. And I had already been successful and whatever that means, but I was just as scared. I literally wanted to start this personal brand as far back as 2015 and I punted till 2018. I waited almost three full years just because I was afraid. And what I was afraid of is why, why would people listen to me to learn about business when there's already massive gurus in this space. Like this is such a crowded niche. Do we need another voice? Do I have anything new to share? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Same things that you were just mentioning. I had those exact same fears. So A, you're normal if you feel it. But B, uh, you just do it anyway because if you don't, someone else will and they're going to get the views and they're going to build a business and it's going to be successful. You don't have to be... The great thing it is, is I don't look at competition anymore. I, I just... Years ago, I gave it up. Even some of my friends, I, one of my business partners, I couldn't... I had to unsubscribe from his email list. We ran a membership site together for seven years. I had to unsubscribe from his newsletter because every time I saw him doing cool things, it made me insecure and jealous. And he's my friend and business partner. And I didn't even tell him. I unsubscribed. I stopped following. I don't follow people in social media. I don't, I don't look at my competitors in my space because it never does anything good for me. And it's really irrelevant to me and my goals. And I've learned that like I can operate as if I'm the only person on planet Earth. And it kind of works. I just make my content. I serve my people and pretend like I'm the only resource that's out there for the subject. And uh, there might be people who are doing better than me or getting a bigger share of the, the pie than me. My, my YouTube channel on this brand, the, the Graham Cochran brand, is, is way smaller than the Recording Revolution. But I make more money. 
in it. It's just, it's crazy. So I've, I've given up vanity metrics. I don't, I don't even, to me, that's not a, an indicator of success anymore. I'm like, I'm just going to show up, ignore all my numbers other than revenue <laughs> and serve people. And, um, man, it just, I've realized there's always room for more because a, we have an, a combination of an insatiable hunger for content as a, as a human race. And that's only going to grow. So there's, there's a hunger for more. And then B, there's no one else who's you. And the way you see the world and your background and your personality and your opinions are a, a unique blend that will make you uniquely and perfectly suited to educate, teach, empower, motivate a certain group of people on the planet that would alienate another group of people on the planet. There's people that are like, they, don't, they can't stand me. And that's great. Or they don't gain anything valuable from me. That's fine. They can go learn from someone else. But there's this group of people that I've been able to find on the internet who like they're finally learning from me. And that's really, it's the first time it's clicked for them. And I'm uniquely equipped to serve them. So that's all it is, is find your little corner of the internet, ignore what everyone else is doing. Mm. And those were some good practical tips for really just avoiding the comparison trap, right? That can get us down when we see something that, you, like you said, makes us jealous or we've all experienced this through social media and, and, and a lot of these things, you're just like, wow, this person, mm, why are they doing it so good? Or I wish that was my idea and now they're doing it or look how great their life is. You know, all, all the things that run through our heads. Cool. A couple more things because we did mention the business model and one of the goals is the passive income, having the time to be out in the world when we're traveling or when we're at home. I know in the book, automating the entire process so that the income flows to you even when you're not working is, is a part of it. And just from what you've learned with this business and the other one, I'm wondering if you could share your best practices and tips for automation and systems and the, the model that you sort of dis, uh, alluded to earlier. Yeah. So the, the model that I've found that I love is you create content that's in a place that it'll stick around forever, like evergreen content is what I call it. So like a YouTube video doesn't disappear. A podcast doesn't disappear. A blog post doesn't disappear. You know, an Instagram post, the TikTok video, they'll get buried in a feed unless it becomes viral and continues to spiral up. So, you know, create content that sticks around forever that's constantly being discovered in a search engine result. Um, and so then that in that content, you offer people more content that they have to download through subscribing to your email list for. And so we call this a lead magnet. I teach you how to do that in the book. But it's, it's like, hey, if you've enjoyed this, I want to give you a gift, something even awesomer. Um, and they have to opt into your email list to get it. Of course, they can unsubscribe whenever they want. Um, and so they that 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 kind of allows people to raise their hands who are really interested in you. They maybe watched a video, but these people are like, oh, I want more. Those people then join your email list. And if you have a tool like Kajabi or MailChimp or any of these tools that can automate delivering the free PDF or a video that they're opting in for, it can also automate some follow-up like, hey, here's another free gift or check out this cool video I did. Or if you have questions about this, here's some of my best resources. Oh, by the way, if you want to go real deep on this subject, I have an entire course that takes you from A to Z or gets you this transformation. Here's some information about it and you pitch for a couple of days. And then it's like, it's really narrowing the funnel of people who are like, liked your video because I watched it, really liked it because I opted into your list, really liked it because I'm reading some of the emails and then, ooh, he's got a course on this. And at that point, you've added all this value. This course then can be sold automatically if they're interested, they want to go deeper 
delivered automatically. You get paid automatically and you had nothing to do with any of it because this is all happening because of content that's out there with email capture, email follow-up, and a digital online course. It could be a membership as well, but I like online courses because they don't require any follow-up work for you after you've sold it. Um, that gets delivered automatically. You collect payment automatically and they get to then go through the course automatically. You can even have follow-up emails for the people that bought it. Like, hey, day one, here's what you should watch today or week two, have you caught up on this or how are you progressing? And just all that can be automated. And so as you commit to content over time, you have more of these pieces of content drawing leads in to go through that system to buy. It can be just one course over and over and over again and that's what allows you to like have this thing spin automatically while you're doing whatever you want to do because you've laid the groundwork for a sale to happen. Hmm. Number one mistake people make that they can avoid. If if it's not like giving up before you start, if we're going to assume that they're going to actually, okay, I'm going to do this, the number one mistake is trying to build the product before you built the audience. Like, and, that, and that's because that's the, the juicy, sexy stuff like, ooh, an online course, you know, passive income. Let me go build an online course. And there's people that'll show you how to build an online course. But having a course means nothing if you have no one to sell it to, right? Just like having a great product of any kind means nothing if you don't have people to sell it to. So for one, you need people to sell it to. B, I've seen people build a product and then they build an audience and they realize that no, nobody in the audience wants that product because they didn't know what people really wanted. So I love content creation and audience building first because not only do I have a list of people to sell the thing to, but then I learn what do people really want? They might want weight loss in general, but specifically I can learn what that means to them, the language they use, and it can make me build a better product that will sell way easier because it's what they're literally asking for. One album that you can listen to all the way through without skipping any songs. <laughs> Soundgarden Super Unknown. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> you just ha you had that one right there. That's, didn't that's you? The, my all time favorite. Yeah. Are you still songwriting? You know, up until last year, I was writing a record every year, at least an EP. Um, wow. And I didn't last year because I was writing the book. Uh, and. I haven't so far this year because I've been promoting the book. So maybe, yeah, maybe after I take a break. How has the business stuff informed your songwriting? You're writing well, about, uh, you know, email funnels now. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my next album is all about email funnels. Dude, how, how amazing would that be? Now, that's a good challenge. A I, grunge you know, album about email funnels. Talk yeah, about exactly. a niche audience. Exactly. I, I would buy that album, actually. I know you would. That's the funny thing. I think some people would. A lot of my friends would. Oh, that actually sounds cool. I want to hear that. I don't... I, I have them so compartmentalized. You know, I view the business as a, as a means to a lot of ends. And one of them is the freedom to, like, go write a record and make a record when I want to, how I want to, with whomever I want to, just for fun. So I don't, I don't know how, if they inform each other, but certainly one allows the other. Hmm. Cool. Thank you for your time today, Graham. And I uh, should mention the book again, which we talked about a bunch today, How to Get Paid for What You Know, Turning Your Knowledge, Passion, and Experience into an Online Income Stream in Your Spare Time. Well done with the copy there on the title. And uh, of course, your website, grahamcochran.com. And we'll leave the various links that we mentioned as well. Did I miss anything? Do you want to add anything or just let people know where else they can find you or give some parting? Yeah, I would say wisdom? one other thing, if they want to go a little deeper on this, um, I have a free workshop 
that's kind of like the four components of passive income in depth. And I should give you some scripts and tools you can use to like get started building your business for free. It's at grahamcochran.com slash gift. If you want to watch that, it's about a 45 minute workshop. You see what he just did there? He practices what he preaches. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> a little meta, um, but it's true. Oh, I should let you go now, but I have one last thing. So you mentioned books. Do you have any uh, books you recommend? Because I love book recommendations. Oh, yeah. So many. I'm guessing 4-Hour Workweek is, is one that's recommended a lot on this show. But that was instrumental for me in a lot of ways to think about efficiency and think about um, what's the point of making money if you don't have time to, to enjoy it. But the other one that I recommend probably more than any book is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. It's a little parable. Um, about five laws of success, but it's really about how to add value in other people's lives and uh, in turn build your business. It's a beautiful story. You read it in an hour, it'll change the way you think about selling and engaging with people. Thanks for your time. I uh, hope we can cross paths here in person at some point. Maybe, maybe have a little jam session. Maybe you could show me a few, a few tricks, a few production tricks to make my voice sound in tune. Can I? <laughs> Absolutely. Anything is possible now, Jason. Anything. <laughs> well, they're going to need some serious technology to make that happen. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. And man, look forward to staying in touch. Yeah. Thanks, Jason, for having me on. There you have it. A quick thank you to Graham for stopping by the show. Of course, we'll leave all the associated links in the show notes before I let you go. A couple things we still have to cover, right? As I mentioned at the top, I got to give a shout out to somebody in this community. Jody sent me an email, said from Seattle to London. She said, hello, Jason. Just wanted to write and say, I love your show. Been listening to it nonstop for the past year. It has inspired me to do what I love. I'm a solo female backpacker and I want to show other women that it's okay to travel alone if it's something you're passionate about. I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. I'm taking a gap year to travel the world. I have just started my trip in London. Next stop, Amsterdam. Keep up the amazing podcast. The tips you give are good. Thank you very much, Jody. Congratulations. I just wanted to acknowledge... Somebody in this community who's out there doing it, taking the gap year, traveling the world, running around Europe right now. So if you're listening, Jody, wherever you are, congratulations. You know, it was a short email, but I know a lot of work went in to that process for you. And of course, always grateful to hear that the podcast was able to play some kind of part in helping you travel and get your trips going. That's what this is all about. That's what this is here for. It's here for you. Uh, again, I invite you, you, yes, you listening with the headphones on, uh, running or, or riding a bus or driving the car, whatever you're doing right now, I always invite you to get in touch and please do that if you have a moment. Now, uh, one other thing, this little hack. I went down to the lake near my house yesterday because a neighbor invited us. He said, hey, we're going to have a barbecue by the lake, You know, bring some hot dogs, it's casual. A bunch of neighbors came down and so we went down there had a fire, grilled some hot dogs. It was beautiful. The sun was out. It was just a perfect Norwegian sort of end of summer day, gorgeous light, you know, carving the sticks with the knife, you know, kind of whittling the sticks so we could make our little hot dog sticks. And nothing, nothing beats a, a food cooked over an open fire, right? So delicious. Um, anyway, just really enjoyed ourselves and had uh, some lovely hours after my kids got back from school and daycare and all that stuff. 
And I said to one of my neighbors, Alex, I said, hey, you know, we got to do this more often. We got the fall coming up at the time of this recording. If you're listening, the fall is approaching and it's going to be getting cold, but it's good, you know, outside fire weather. We got the lake right here. We got to come down and have some more fires and just come together as a community and do this more often. And as I was leaving, he said, yeah, I'm on, I'm on board with that. Let's do this more often. And this got me thinking about this little hack, if you want to call it that. What are some things that you've done in the past that make you say, every time you do it, you're like, wow, I should do this more often. Why don't I do this more often? That can bring up some new ideas around things that we love, that we love to do, that we haven't done in a while. And you know, something that just jumped into my mind, I remember one day I rented a city bike in Oslo and just rode it out to the fjord, out to the museum area, and went to one of the museums. And I remember even saying to myself then, oh, I should do this more often. This is just like, I feel like I'm traveling. And you know, I haven't done something like that in a while. So that could be my uh, answer to this challenge I'm posing, which is what have you done in the past that you have maybe said to yourself or said out loud, you know, why don't, I should do this more often. Why don't I do this more often? Uh, is there anything that jumps to mind? And if so, do that thing in the next, you know, week or 10 days or, or two weeks, whenever you have time, just, you know, maybe within the next month. I don't want to make it <laughs> too difficult, but, you know, it could be an easy challenge, right? What are some things that you've done in the past that make you say to yourself, wow, I should do this more often. This is awesome. And you kind of forgot about it and you haven't done it in a while. Maybe it's time to do that thing again. So that's the challenge I wanted to issue to you. Let me know if you do that. Drop me a line. Let me know what it is. I'd love to hear about what adventure or what thing you you ended up doing. Okay, I'm leaving with a quote from Paramahansa Yogananda who said, quote, The happiness of one's own heart alone cannot satisfy the soul. One must try to include as necessary to one's own happiness the happiness of others. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next week. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by zerototravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.